So today, that, well, last week we spoke about Elokeinu ve'elokei avoseinu. Hashem is, hang on, He is our powerful Lord, and the Lord of Abraham, the Lord of Yitzchak, and the Lord of Yaakov. Also mentioned, we probably have a sitter or two. <laughs> but probably, not for sure, but most likely. You should be able to find something. Yeah. Okay. And then we talked a little bit about Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. Um, we actually talked quite a lot about it a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into it so deeply. But what we are going to look at a little bit is. Um, this statement of the Vilna Gaon, which I did not see inside, I heard it on a share from Rav Berkowitz, where he says, every word of the beginning of Shemona Esrei is Gadol Gibor Nora, is that phrase, over and over again in different words. Mm-hmm. So presumably that's Elokeinu Velokei Avoseinu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Velokei Yaakov, there are all these threes. I mean, you feel them when you say them, even if you're not sure what the threes all are, right? Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanora. It seems to me as well, the more I've been looking at it, that it's with Kel Elyon is also a set of three. Gomel Chasadim Tovim, Vekone Hakol, Vezocher Chaste Avos. And I think the Kel Elyon introduces those three in the same way Hakel by itself, not Kael Elyon, but Hakel introduced Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora. Meaning the, the noun was Hakel, and then Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora were kind of serving as adjectives on the noun of Hakel. And again, there is that ambiguity about the adjectives versus the nouns. I think here as well, Kael Elyon seems to lead into Gomel Chasadim Tovim Vekone Hakol Vezocher Chasteavos. And it looks to me like the way Rav Leff takes it also um, works with it that way. And, and it, it kind of makes sense. You see there's a sort of a sandwich there with the chesed, gomel chasadim tovim, and then there's kone hakol, and then there's zocher chasteavos again. So there's this kind of sandwich of two chesed's with a kone hakol in the middle. Um, and then there's umedigo alivnevneim laman shemo And I'm not sure how that breaks down. And there's melech, ozer umoshia umogen. He is the king, and then the three descriptions are Ozer, Moshiach, and Magain. So the Gras says every part of the first part of Shorna Esther, and again, I don't even know if it only means that first bracha. I don't think so. I think it goes, it's the whole first three brachos. Because the first three brachos themselves are Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Right? The first bracha is Avraham, the second bracha goes to Yitzchak, and the third one relates to Yaakov. So that's again a, a Gadogi Bornora. Because we already said Gadogi Bornora corresponds to. So I think it must work all the way throughout, although it may not always be in little triplets like that. I'm not sure. Okay, so <clears throat> Rav Berkowitz, okay, he talked about the idea of the Anche Knesses Hagadola. Why were they called Anche Knesses Hagadola? They were called that because they returned Atara Leoshna. Why are they the great assembly? Because they returned the crown to its old resting place, to where it had been meaning the Nevi'im, and I'm not going to repeat it in detail, but the, the prophets Daniel and Yirmiyah were dropping from the Gadol and the Gibor. Remember, they said, where's your Gedula now? If the non-Jews are partying on the Temple Mount, where's your Gedula now when, 
Where's your gavura if your nation is like a little sheep and it's not being saved from the 70 wolves? Like it's not visible. Not that it doesn't exist, but it can't see it. If I can't see it, I can't say it. Which kind of tied in when we saw when, um, when Moshe Rabbeinu introduced the concept of Hagadol Hagibor Vahanor, he says, your eyes saw, right? So it was kind of in this format, like if you can see it, then you can talk about it. And the Anshay Knesset Hagadol came back and said, no, this is God's greatness. This is God's, this is God's kavura. You can see it in the fact that we are just a little sheep and we're surrounded by 70 wolves and we're still there at all. And that they said they went back to saying Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora and brought that back for all of us, saying that it's specifically in the time of Gullahs that you can see God's greatness through that as well, perhaps even more so than before. Um, so Rav Berkowitz says, so what is Gadol? So we tend to think of Gadol as big. And then we say, well, that doesn't, like, that's not classy, right? So we say great. <laughs> Great, which kind of encompasses more than just size or volume. Rav Berkowitz says, Gdula is not largeness, it's hash, the mashpia, it's hashpa'a, the greatness of impact, of influence, of being able to affect others. And that's very interesting because I've heard, and I might repeat this wrong because I haven't heard it so many, many times or reviewed it so many times to get the term right, but I heard Rabbi Goldberg say in the name of Revolbi that the definition of a gadol, as in a person that we would call, let's say, a gadol be Israel, the definition of a gadol is someone whose circle is very large. Meaning, somebody who includes within his sense of personal space a lot of people. So all of us, hopefully we include ourselves in our own personal identification of who we care about, who we love, who we can really get in their feelings with, who come into our heart, who our minds are occupied with them, that we understand them, that we care about them. And then maybe there are other people in our family. We might have husbands, children, parents, grandparents, that we also kind of extend our sense of identity to include them. That's an expansion of the circle. Some people are able to go beyond that and to care that kind of in that way about other people too maybe other people in their community, maybe, you know, and to be able to shoulder the burden with them, right? When that person is suffering, to be able to hear, put their eyes and heart to them as Moshe did, right? To, to care enough to see and not mind that it's going to hurt them and feel the pain and carry the burden with them. And that being able to expand yourself to include more people, that's gedula. That, that's gedula in people, as the way I understood it said. I hope I repeated it correctly. And it's interesting because it fits very much with what Rav Berkowitz is saying here about Gadula. He's talking not about people per se, but that that's what's greatness. He says greatness is what you're able to do for others, which is a whole different way of thinking about greatness from, let's say, the society we live in. It's not covet. It's, it's, yeah. it's outward rather than... It's outward, outward flowing. Yeah. Absolutely. It's outward flowing. How many people are you able to do for? How many people can you impact is the measure of greatness. So Hashem is the great, Hagadol. <laughs> He's the great. Why is he the great? Meaning that means the only one, the greatest one. So obviously because he can do the most for the most people. But it's something beyond that. It seems to actually refer to, right, when we say Gadol Gibor Nora corresponds to Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, corresponds to Chesed Gevura Emes. So 
that chesed is the source of all of creation. All of, creation is chesed. Olam chesed yibone. The world is built on chesed. That hashpa'a of Hashem, whatever that means, of his ratzon turning into creation, turning into the fact that there is a physical, material world, even that there is a spiritual world for us, all of that is a function of chesed. That's hagadol. So there's this complete, okay. What is gvura? He says, gvura isn't strength, right? We know, ezehu gibor, hakovesh es yitzro. Like, okay, I'm not talking about Hashem, but with people, we know that real strength is not measured by how much you can lift. Because mm-hmm. if it were, there's always someone who can lift more than you. And no matter who you get to, in the end, who cares? Get a crane, it can lift much more. So who cares how much some person can bench press? Like, what, what are you competing for? Gvura is the way Hashem deals with us. That the world is created to enforce God's will. And that we are therefore required to align with his will. Um, I'm not going to repeat it here. We, I'm sure we talked about it in this shear. And I, I know I talked about it not so long ago um, in the Tuesday class on the... Thanks for Robert. <laughs> We're getting custom hand delivery from Amazon. <laughs> um, we talked about it with regard to, I think it's Rokaha Aretz Al Hamayim. I'm just telling you this because if you want to go back and look up this topic in more depth, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, where we talked about Gavura and strength, there's actually a picture on the website. You'll see which one it is in the Tuesday class because they made a picture of like one of those. Oh, we also talked about it in Ozer Yisrael Bigvura. That's the one that has the picture. But we talked about it earlier, Rokaha Aretz Al Hamayim which is the idea of gevura, it is limited. It's gevura through limitation. Strength through limitation, meaning when chesed is limited, when there is a boundary to the chesed, we call that gevura. But what it does is not minimize the chesed, it empowers it. It literally channels it. So if you think of, let's say, a large hose, and, well, a hose is the wrong example, a faucet. Okay, so you have a faucet and you open up the faucet and all this water comes out, right? So it goes all over the place in a very thin layer. If you channel it either with a hose or with some kind of a funnel or trough, right? Now, all of a sudden, your water's going to gain height and it's going to get this sort of shape and it might be usable for something in a different way. The shape given to the chesed is the gavura. So it limits it, but in limiting it, it's not, it's not that it limits it in quantity per se. It's that by restricting it, it gives it channel, shape, structure, form. This is an idea. I don't, I don't want to repeat that whole share, especially since I don't have notes in front of me. But the concept of shakai, the name that we have, let's say, on mezuzahs, she'amar la'olam odai, right? The name of God that he said to his world, enough. That with chesed, the world was creating, and it was expanding and expanding, and finally Hashem said, stop. Mm-hmm. If there were no limit on the world, the, the limiting of the world is also part of the creation of the world. Because if there were no limit, then all those particles would just keep spreading farther and farther and farther apart, and you don't have a planet either. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the holding together that's saying, stop. Right? The waters that God had to shout at them, stop. No further. Right? The earth, God said, rise up, stop. And this is what gives place for people to live on the planet. Mm-hmm. That process of stopping the creation as well 
is absolutely vital to the creation itself. So the creation is more associated with the gedula. Gvura is not strength as is in how much you can weigh, um, pick up. It's how Hashem deals with us, that the world is created to enforce his will. And what's a Nora? Nora means awesome. It's related to yirah, to awe, <laughs> fear. It's totally outside and above our grasp and understanding. Because really that's the meaning of Nora. That God is awesome. The feeling of awe is when I realize something is far greater than I'm able to really get a grasp on. So when I'm saying Hashem is Noah, I'm saying he is outside and above my grasp and understanding. He's beyond my comprehension. Sorry. I was worried last night I wouldn't feel well enough, but I don't feel too bad at all. Still, okay. Um, Rabbi Reisman quoted, quotes the Mithtav Melio. I just happened to hear it in a, in a shir he gave, probably on some other topic completely, that the word Gadol always refers to a Simen Bracha. Gedula and bracha are always associated. Now, with what with what Rav Berkowitz said, you can kind of see why, because gedula is a measure of hashpa'a, so to speak, or at least is measured by hashpa, what you can do for others, right? So doing for others is that bracha. So it's the giving with rachamim chesed, right? Okay. Um, this idea that the Anshei Knesset, I'm sorry, this is sort of just like tacking on all the other shiurim <laughs> on top of it, but this is the right place for it. Hagadol hagibor v'hanora, hein hein gedulosav, hein hein gvurosav. This is his greatness. This is his strength. What is the, what is the difference between seeing Hashem's gedula and gavura in the Jewish people in the Gullahs? versus seeing it in the Jewish people when they are redeemed. Okay, so to address that, whoops, I I changed. Oh, I moved it. Oops, I keep doing that. <laughs> I keep moving like certain pieces. I'm like, oh, this goes over there. And then I'll like forget that it was really over here for an important reason. And then, <laughs> yeah, see, I just moved it over to Tovim Tovim. You can see it's chesed. Okay, whatever. Maybe it'll go back, maybe it won't go back. Okay, so this is a piece from the Vilna Gon, which very fortunate, I can't believe, like I never saw it before, and I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing mostly because I don't understand a lot of it. Um, but there's some parts that I can't understand out of it. And this is from the Siddur Hagra. It's the commentary Imre Shefer on the Vilna Gon's commentary. And this is on Hanosein Liyaif Koach, which is not where I would have expected to see it, just that I happened to be teaching that bracha, so I came across this and realized that it basically applies to everything. I mean, it like goes to Parsha Shmos, then it goes to over here to the Tov, and then, okay. Which is, right, this idea of seeing it from the Gullus versus seeing it from the Geula, and you'll see why it really belonged also later, Hasadim Tovim, it goes everywhere. It's a, it's a fundamental. And what he says is this. He starts by talking, quoting the Arizal, and so it's kind of, let's say, I'd put it like this, aside from being actually Kabbalistic, it's Kabbalistic vocabulary as well. Like, not just that the idea itself is from Kabbalah, but, so some of it we're going to a little bit skip, but you come across this idea, and we, we've even come across it here and there, I try and avoid it, really, <laughs> of klipos. It's like, oh my gosh, right? As soon as you hear klipo, you're like, it's okay, like wrong share. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. Okay, klipo, nowadays a klipa is a peel. 
or a shell. Okay, so it's something that's some kind of barrier or covering, which means that what is inside is what's good. That it's not that it's not that because there's a klipa, what's what's inside there's something wrong with. The suggestion is that what's inside has not been affected by the klipa. The klipa is this sort of barrier outside, a wrapper, a package. That the klipa to people is that which causes a person to deny hashgachas Hashem. That which causes a person... So there's a lot of things that would fall into that category. By the way, this is really helpful because sometimes you could be reading something that you don't just want to happen to put down because it happened to go in the direction of mentioning a klipa. If you get like... <laughs> some, right? Like you could be reading something from Ramchal and like <laughs> kind of a little more mainstream, right? And then he just happens to like... Because he is a Mikubal and... Okay, but if we take from here something we can take, which is that there is a concept of things which cause us to incline toward denying Hashem or denying Hashem's personal supervision or denying Hashem's awareness, okay? That might be the nature of something else which is blocked by klipa, so we, we don't see through. It might be some sort of darkness between me and the truth, and it might be something on me. There might be, so to speak, klipa around me that is preventing me from seeing out. There are a lot of sort of places in which this barrier might be thrown up and anywhere along the line that could cause me to not see what is true. Sort of putting it that way. Okay. It's a kind of, um, you might almost kind call it like some kind of intellectual rationalization based on what he's saying here. I don't know that that's always the case with the klipa, but what he's talking about over here. All right. And this is part, I think, it, to some, okay. And there are ideas and there are concepts that can affect a person in their heart, in their mind, in their eyes, and make it harder or easier for them to investigate and sort of dig past the barrier to try and discover the truth. Now, what is that truth that is hidden? It's that Hashem, in his rachamim, each and every day recreates with his own, with his strength, the entire world. That everything really comes from him. He is the Gadol. He is the Mashpia. He is the Bore. He is the creator. That is the truth that is embedded within everything, which is an idea we've heard about before, right? That's the whole parent Shira concept. That's all. Everything that is created itself testifies to the fact that there is a creator who created it. And each and every day he recreates it. This is the chesed of HaKadosh Baruch. This is through the chesed of HaKadosh This isn't the chesed. This is a function of Hashem's chesed. So the ikar is then revealing God's chesed, his actions into the world, revealing his influence saying, Baruch Hashem, look what he did for me. Telling people, right? Waking up in the morning and saying, I am acknowledging, I am speaking out a recognition of what God has done for me. That is the digging through or digging past or shining past the klipa, so to speak, is the, re the revealing of that. And in fact, he based it on Chadashim, um, what is it? Chadashim Lavkarim, Rabbi Munasecha, it's a pasuk. Renewed every morning, 
great is your faithfulness. Rabba Munasecha, that term we say every day, that gets into Mote'ani, that's where it's from, is that every day God renews the world, which also is every day God renews people, each of us, when we wake up again, and that is Rabba Munasecha. That all goes together, and that's that declaration. When we open our eyes, it's very fitting, right? You wake up, you sort of open your eyes, and you want to open your spiritual eyes at the same time. Okay. All of this, then, is through, happens through revelation of Hashem's chesed, which at its root is actually what's called the Or Haganos. Again, all of a sudden we fell back into like something, you know. Okay, but what is Or Haganos at our level? is in Rashi, in Bereshis. Here's a Bereshis, conveniently. Okay. In the beginning, Hashem created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> Sorry. And the earth was void and confused with darkness over the deeps, and the Spirit of God wafted over the water. And Hashem said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, Kitov, that it was good. And he separated between the light and the dark. And this light, Rashi says, Hashem saw that the light was good. And then it says Hashem separated between the light and the dark. What are those two different things? He says, really at the beginning, Hashem created this light. It was not suitable for those who are wicked to use it, and he separated it away for the tzaddikim lavo in the future. Right? It's not the first time you've heard that, Rashi. Okay? So, what does this mean in real life? No idea. It's like way beyond, you know? Okay, way beyond. What a light? I don't know. But what the Gros says is, this is revealing the hidden light. The light that was hidden is the light from the beginning of creation, and that when we reveal that Hashem has created the world, and we reveal to our own sight, and to our own mind, and our own heart His goodness, we are in some way like wiping the window clean in one little tiny spot with our pencil eraser, so that a little bit of that light shines. It's light that is hidden, light that is hidden, and we are letting it out. But it's just a teeny, teeny bit of something very, very big and something way beyond what we can understand. So why did I say all this? Because it's all very esoteric. Because this principle is called tov. So this becomes something fundamental that we kind of need some kind of concept to work with because tov comes up. <laughs> tov comes up. Instead. Moshe's mother saw ki tovhu, that he was good. And Kitov, who did make you think, wait a minute, Vayara Lokimisa or Kitov, God saw the light that it was good. I mean, Tov is something that comes up, right? <laughs> it's about to come up again. Gomel Hasadim Tovim. What's good? What is the definition of good? Good is Hamechadesh Betuvo Bechol Yom Tamin Masabracious, that God renews in his goodness every single day the creation. That's what's good. <laughs> The thing that is good is when you can see that truth. That's what's good. So when you can't see that truth, and he doesn't quite get there over here, we would call that ra. When there is a behavior, when there is a choice, when there is a situation 
that tends to obscure the idea that there is a God in the world who created it, that's called Ra. Does that mean that Hashem didn't? No, Hashem's still there behind it. But we call that Ra. And when there is an, an idea or a choice or a statement or a situation that tends to reveal that Hashem created the world and everything in it, that's something that's tov. God called the light day and the darkness night. And we've seen over and over throughout Torah, light and dark, day and night. They refer to times of day. They refer to times of life. They refer to times in a person's spirit, right? That's the, the distinction between the light times and the dark times. In the dark times, Hashem's chesed is just as much there, but you don't see it. In the light times, Hashem's chesed is just as much there, and you do see it. This is what Chazal, what the Amshe Knesset Hagadola said, Hain, hain, gedulasav, hain, hain, gruosav. Yes, it is very dark and hard to see, but in there, specifically, out of that, we can also see his greatness and his goodness. back out, send them back where they came from, possibly. Um, no idea where they came from. Okay, wherever. Let's go back for safety's sake. Okay. All right, so the first bracha of Shorn Esther, and I'm just going to say this here because Roberkowitz says it as part of this pattern of Gadol Gibor Nora, Gadol Gibor Nora, Gadol Gibor Nora. The first bracha in Shemona Esrei is Magen Avraham, and I'm going to shortly get to that place in the Chumash, where the source is from. Hashem is the Magen, the shield of Avraham. Hashem saved Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov from enemies, from threats. The shield, that's referring to Gadol and Chesed, that influence of good. The second bracha emphasizes our dependence on Hashem. Somech noflin. He supports the ones who are falling. Rofei Cholim heals the ones who are sick, right? Mechaye Mesim, even the fact that Hashem revives the dead reminds us that we're mortal. All of that refers to our weakness, obliquely, that Hashem helps us in our weakness, but it does remind us that we're weak, we're finite, we're dependent on Him. That's a limitation. That's Hagibor, that's Gvura. And if you look, actually, not in my sitter, but probably in this... Um, Probably in this sitter, it probably says before each bracha, mm -hmm. yeah, gvuros, God's might, avos, like that. Like it, that's called gvuros. And in there, right, we, we didn't get to this yet, but like mashiv haruach hamorid hagashem is called gvuros geshamen, the might of the rain. So it goes in the bracha of gvuros, because it's all gvura. And the third bracha is, corresponds then to Nora, that Hashem is beyond our comprehension. And that's Atakadosh, that Hashem is holy, his name is holy. Those are it's like something we can't go beyond that. There's nothing else we can say about it. It's beyond our comprehension. It's um the the third bracha of Atakadosh, Hakel Hakadosh, essentially communicates that we are physical beings, we are unable to comprehend Hashem, and yet 
we can transcend that limitation to be able to tune in and connect to him and his truth. Even though we may not understand it, we can nonetheless connect to him. Gadol, Gibor, and Norah. And this, the fact that even though we cannot understand, and even though we are so small and finite, we can still transcend past that to be able to be connected to Hashem. He says that's why this this is his greatness. This this is his strength. Nobody took away the Nora. They took off the Gadol. They took off the Gibor. So what is the this is his strength? It seems like Anshik Nesadolar pointing to this aspect that's still left to us of Hakel HaKadosh. And because of this, no matter how dark and hidden, anyway, we don't understand Hashem. Even when it's light, even when it's day, even when we can see that Hashem is acting for us clearly, we still don't really understand. So in the end, the fact that it's dark or the fact that it's night, either way, you're going to see his greatness. And maybe it's even a greater expression of his greatness when we struggle to it and persevere through it against all odds and against all the enemies to connect to him. When we do that, that's an even greater expression of Hashem's greatness. So the Andre Knesset Sagadola are saying, open your eyes to that which is hidden. That's really what they're saying. They're telling us, by telling us to say, they're telling us how to look at life when it seems chaotic and out of control. And why do we do that in Shemona Esrei? Because Shemona Esrei is a process of finding Hashem and feeling like we are connected to Him even when He is not tangible. That is really a big part of this whole Shemona Esrei process. Coming in with our bakashos, with our needs, with our problems, which are each in their own way of feeling that something is chaotic, something's out of balance, something's out of my control. Coming in and finding Hashem in there, finding Hashem in control, the one who influences, the one who provides everything. In that situation, that is a process. His, finding his presence there is a personal experience of Shemona Esrei, of Gadol, Gibor, and Nora. The Rambam is famous for saying that you can develop Avas Hashem by looking at Torah and by looking at nature. right? By looking at what he has done, and through that, you come closer. The, the point is to develop love of Hashem. He's very explicit. We've read that before. We've seen it a few times. We won't repeat it here. It's just remarkable for the fact that that passage gets so quoted for other purposes. <laughs> for like, here's why you should you know, spend more time studying science instead of studying Torah, which is the opposite, really, of what the Rambam was saying. Okay. <laughs> Rav Berkowitz adds further... <laughs> If a Jew is in trouble when we're suffering, when there's tsaris, then Gadol, Gibor, and Nora are hidden there too. We can find him in there. You can find God by looking at stars and beetles' wings, and you can find him by looking into your own troubles and needs and salvations. And that's really a greater expression of his glura and his gadula because it's personal. Realizing that we depend on Hashem and we need him and he is there. The Gemara tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sadikim. Hashem craves the prayers of righteous people. That's a very, it's easy to misinterpret, but if you hear it right, it's such an exciting idea. 
that he wants to hear from people. And suffering is one way Hashem speaks to us. And in fact, it's often the deepest, most poignant way he speaks to us when we're struggling. And we even feel that. I really think, I really think we do feel that. At some point along the way in a struggle, we start to feel like we're closer to Hashem. Rav Schwab taught us that like, when a person is suffering or in pain, he is at his closest to God, and God is closest to him. That's a very personal conversation. And God is saying, I want, I want your heart. I want to talk to you. And even if we don't feel that we're particularly suffering at any particular time, which is a good feeling, right? When we feel like life is basically good, we're supposed to reach into ourselves at Shmona Esrei and look for our bakashos. <laughs> Not because we're greedy, but to recognize that we have needs and that we rely on Hashem for them and that he's opening the door and speaking to us through them. And hopefully it doesn't take suffering to have a conversation. It could just take like the normal needs. We need paychecks. We need dinner to get made on time. We need to pick up an antibiotic. We need to find the rest of the tea. We, need, we have all kinds of needs, right? Some are big needs, some are little needs. But we want to be in tune with them, not because we feel like suffering, but because we realize Hashem is talking to me in everything that happens, both in the good and also in the difficult things. He wants to speak to me, and I want to speak to Him. And the Anche Knesset Hagadola teach us, Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora, that God in hiding is a stronger way to find Him, and it's a more lasting way to find Him to approach him, to talk to him, it's something stronger and more lasting because it builds us up in the process. He says like this, he says, Shmona Esri was born in Gullus and formed in Gullus, which is a remarkable, remarkable idea. Rav Yitzchak Berkowitz. He has a whole series on, I think it's on the Jerusalem Kolo website. It's his Kolo. They have a lot of his shiurim. And, and they're all different. I mean, most of them are halachic-based but he does have a series in there on tefillah, not specifically halachic, like just translating, going through davening, much faster than I do. Okay. All right. He says, born in Gullus and formed in Gullus. No, exactly all the different things he intended by that, but it's a very, very intriguing concept. Um, um, I just jumped. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. Kale Elyon. We're going to do this whole, we're going to do all of this kind of in a batch because I believe it goes together in the same way as Hakel, Hagado Hagibor, Rahanara goes together. Kale Elyon. So Kale is God of might, right? The God is mighty. Elyon means he is highest above, like Al is on top of. Kale Elyon. Gomel Hasadim Tovim. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, although that's not the first thing. Gomel chasadim tovim, so gomilus chasadim, doing chesed, right? We'll say that for the moment. Gomel chasadim tovim, he does good chesed. Vekone hakol, and he owns everything, which is a little surprising, except it isn't surprising. Once you heard Kelelion, you shouldn't be surprising to, surprised to see kone hakol following it. And he recalls the chesed of our forefathers. So God, who is most high, does good chesed, owns everything, and remembers the chesed of our forefathers. 
What do these have to do with each other? All right, so Kone Hakol, I'm gonna start with that one for a moment and then come around to the batch. Kone Hakol, if God owns everything, then there's an implication there. Because when I say Shmona Esrei, and I start Shmona Esrei, which is what I'm doing over here, what is my Shmona Esrei? My Shmona Esrei is a Korban. But God owns everything, so what could I bring him? Right? Okay. It's a legitimate question. All right. So Rav Schwab says like this, when we want to express our gratitude to Hashem, we're really at a loss to adequately express it. There is nothing that could say enough to thank Hashem for all he does for us. So when we say Vekone Hakol, Hashem owns everything, it means we have nothing to offer you. You have everything. So all we have to offer you is ourselves because we have free will. God gave it to us. <laughs> We're still giving him back what he gave us, right? But because we have free will, so that choice to be his is something we have some control over. Everything else we don't. So we have nothing to offer you. You own everything. We are offering you, therefore, ourselves. And this came up, I actually saw this when I was doing Parshas Vayigash, and I was hoping we'd get to it, but we didn't. <laughs> in Parshas Vayigash, Yosef is distributing food in Mitzrayim, right? So first, in the first year of the famine alone, the Egyptians and the Canaanim apparently used all of their money. It's in the Psukim, actually. And they traded all of their livestock to get enough grain and food to support themselves. You see, uh, did you remember this? Okay, here. I get the source. This is one of these parts that you tend to skip over because you're busy with the brothers. Right? There's like all these other exciting things going on, and you don't pay so much attention to this. Um, no, that's not it. That's my bottom. Sorry. There we go. There was no bread in the land because the famine was very heavy. And they were all, what's the tela? They were all drained completely because of the famine. And Yosef gathered up all the money that was in the land of Mitzrayim and the land of Canaan with the provisions that he was providing to them. Vayavi Yosef has a kesef based Paro, and they brought all the money to the house of Paro. Vayitom ha kesef merits, Mitzrayim merits Kenan, and all the money was finished. <coughs> it's funny, it's right here, right? But we jump. All the money was finished in the land of Mitzrayim, in the land of Kenan, Vayavochol Mitzrayim el Yosef, and all the Egyptians came to Yosef, Lamor, and said, Havalanu lechem, give us bread. Why should we die here before you? Ki afes kesef, there's zero money or. It probably means there's zero money. It could mean that there's, like, what's the point of the money anymore anyway? Like, if we're going to die. Vayomer Yosef. So Yosef said, Havu miknechem ve'etna lochem b'miknechem. Bring me the cattle, and I'll exchange bread for cattle. Im afes kosef, if you have no money. Vayavu es miknechem el Yosef. Vayitain lahem Yosef lechem basusim uvimikne hatzon uvimikne habako uvachamorim. He trades bread for horses, for sheep, for cattle, and for donkeys. And now he's got all of that. And the year ended. They came to him the second year, and they said to him, we're not going to deny to our master 
that the money is finished and also the animals are finished. We have nothing left. Bilti im gaviosenu ba'admasenu. We have nothing left but our bodies and our land. Why should we die? Let's take our land, take our bodies, take us for bread. And we, our land will be yours and we will be slaves to Paro. But at least we'll be able to keep living. And the land won't be just destroyed because no one's there. And Yosef bought all the land of Egypt for Paro because everyone sold his fields because the, the famine was so extreme. And all the land then belonged to Paro. He totally nationalized the state. And then he took the people. <laughs> he didn't take the land of the Kohanim because he had appreciation for them. And they provided for them. And Yosef said to the nation, I have acquired you today and your land belongs to Paro. Go and now go work the land for us. They became serfs. All right. So Rav Schwab brings it. It's an awesome example, right, of what it means to feel that I have need and you have everything. Hashem, if you have everything, then what do I have to offer you anymore? <laughs> Me. <laughs> That's all I have to offer. Which, of course, brings us back around. Now we've answered our question with exactly where we, what we know about Carbonos, which is that we're bringing ourselves, really. It's not about an animal, which is why a Shemona Esri works in a place of a carbon. Right? We come to Hashem, we say, Vekone hakol, everything is yours. Everything is yours, so what can I possibly offer you? I can offer you me. Okay, there's another thing we've come across. Rav Schwab doesn't say this, but I just want to remind you of it. We came across this with regard to misers and giving to Hashem and the idea of what we have received, which is a pasuk in Devar Hayamim, the end of Devar Hayamim. Aleph ki miyadcha kol umiyadcha nasanu lach. David says when they've collected all the all the contributions to build the base on Mikdash, he says to Hashem, "From your hand is everything, and from your hand we're giving to you." That's it which is a wonderful wonder. I mean, I just always come back to this in the end. From your hand, I'm giving to you. Kone hakol. It's all yours. So I'm going to give everything I can to you, but what I'm giving to you is really from your hand. Taking from one hand and putting back in. Okay. Now, um, I'd like to do one more idea. Maybe we'll only do part of it, but let's at least start it. I'm kind of... A little back and forth with it. I think it's worth a try. Okay, I did a handout. I did three handouts for this brush. Yeah, I know. I'm really starting to get into this website that I can make the handouts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also start, I'm trying because it's really easier not to make handouts. But if I do make handouts, then it's kind of nice because it means you can follow along. Now, they don't always have Nikodos, and they don't always have the English, and the English that they have is often very amusing or misleading or whatever. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Sometimes I go in and try and clean it up. Sometimes I don't. You know, it depends on the topic. But it'll at least, you know, like here, a, sh a shoe latchet. What's a shoe latchet? <laughs> I guess something you latch a shoe with, like a buckle, but that's, I don't think that's what a is a string, not a latch. Okay, anyway, never mind. They're for kind this of fun. This is very... Right. You should see some of the other ones are even better. Nor okay. is thine, as <laughs> thou shouldn't say. Wow. Lest thou shouldest say. Yeah, right. this is really like... <laughs> yeah, okay. So first is this Devar Rabba, which is the Medrash. I actually have a version of it with Nikodos. Such a cheater. But it's not the one you have because it wasn't in that system. Okay. 
Um, and I'm gonna. I'm not. Where does this start? With the Davar Acher. <laughs> I don't know whose <laughs> translation this is. Okay. I'm just looking to see the beginning. Okay. Haover lifnei hateva. I'm just looking to see where it says haover lifnei hateva. We don't have to read this whole thing. Okay, davar acher. It's the fourth line of this davarim raba, and about two thirds of the way across the line, it says davar acher. Another thing. Davar acher. Another thing. Haover lifnei hateva. One who stands at the bima to lead the davening. Vita'a, and made a mistake, yavor acher tachtav, and another person comes to replace him. Uminayin humatchil, where should the person begin, the second person? I'm not sure what the situation is that the shaliach tzibor makes a mistake and you replace him. I don't think that if he just fumbles the words, you replace him. So I don't know, I don't know the backstory here halachically. This is just the context that what we're going to learn comes up in. Where should he begin? Mitzchilas habracha shatah, from the beginning again of the bracha, which got discombobulated. Umehechan lamdu, where do they learn this from? They avos ha'olam. Meaning, if you're going to pick up and continue a bracha, go back to the beginning of the last thing the other person said. This sounds familiar. We once did this, do you remember? In a parsha yeah, shir. It's also it's backwards because when Rabbi, uh, Rabbi said that um, if you. Well, this is a different case, but yeah, it sounds like the principle is different. What this is saying is not that you go back to the beginning, right? right? You the but beginning. you go back to the beginning of that bracha. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the name of God is only going to be at the end of the bracha. So rather than start again at the end of the bracha, you go to the beginning mm-hmm. of the last bracha, which is where the problem came up. So that bracha wasn't said correctly. Go to the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So you're not really repeating a bracha because presumably the bracha was messed up. It needs to be okay. repeated. But okay. <coughs> I think, like I said, I'm not really sure the halacha context, but let's say it was an atachonin. <coughs> and for some reason, this chazan steps down, a new one comes up. He doesn't start with Baruch HaTashem, Chonein Hadas. And he doesn't start by skipping that and just starting at the next one. Mm-hmm. He goes to Ata Chonein L'Adam Das. Sorry, I need to take a drink. How do we know this? Where did Chazal learn this from? <coughs> Principle, if you're picking up on someone's bracha and you want it to continue and be the same bracha continuing, go to the beginning of the last statement from the Avos. How did the Avos do that? Kate said. Avraham... <laughs> Beirach es Yitzchak. You know, I shouldn't have done a hand. I should have just given you a copy of this page with the kudos. Anyway, whoever wants it, I can make a copy. Avraham blessed Yitzchak. Minayin. From where? Dichtiv, as it says, and I brought this quote here in source numbered number three, also known as Genesis 25.5. Vayitain Avraham es kolasherlo le Yitzchak. Avraham gave everything that he had to Yitzchak. That's, that's giving him a bracha. Umanathamo, what did he give him? Rabbi, um, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Nechemia, Rabbi Yehuda says, Bechoranathamo, he gave him the birthright, which is the wrong word completely. He gave him the, that special relation, the obligations to represent the family 
in their spiritual communication with God, which we would really call kehuna, right, rather than any kind of privilege per se, as it says, Vayimkor es Yaakov. Like we know that Esav sold his Bechora to Yaakov, so over here this was Avraham giving it to Yitzchak. Rabbi Nechemia says, Bracha Nasan he gave him a Bracha, as it says, V'yitain l'cha Elokim. Okay. Amad Yitzchak, Levarech es Yaakov. So whatever, you're going to take whichever reasons it is that this, that you're going to hold it this way. Okay. That is Avraham giving his bracha on to Yitzchak. Is Vayitain, Avraham es koshalol Yitzchak. When Yitzchak then wanted to bless Yaakov, well, or whoever he thought he was blessing. Right. <laughs> okay. He began, Mimakom Shepasak Abba, in the place where his father, he began in the place where his father ended. So this is actually on the other side of the page. This is source number, uh, no, it's not number four. Number four is the Rashi quoting this Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Nechemia says, Bracha, he gave him the Bracha as his legacy. I changed that word because they had some other funny word there. Hashem said to Avraham, Veheye Bracha. Oh, there's a mistake there. Wow. See, it says Vehaya Bracha. That's wrong. It's Veheye Bracha. It's a pasuk. Veheye Bracha. Habrachos Mesuros Biyadcha. I'm handing over the Brachos into your hand. Levarech Esmisha Tirtze. We're going to come back to this one. And Avraham gave them over to Yitzchak. Okay. Then Yitzchak is going to bless Yaakov. He says, V'yitein l'choha Elokim. May God give you. The bracha goes on, okay? But the beginning of the bracha is, may God give to you, v'yitain. So he begins his bracha where Avraham's bracha, at the beginning of the end of Avraham's bracha, going back to the beginning of the last bracha of Abraham, which was, v'yitain, Avraham is kol asher So he begins with, v'yitain l'choha elokim. Um, 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 um. Okay, then, okay, so, Abba, from the place where my father stopped, from there I will begin. My father stopped at I will start with Now you hear what Chazal learned from this. What do you mean? His father didn't stop at Vihitain. That was the introduction to that final bracha. So what they learned from this is that when you want to have a bracha that continues, you don't have this bracha end and this one start. You have this bracha end and this one start. You're going to have a little overlap where you start your whole set of brachos at the beginning of the end of the previous one. Okay. So this is source number six. And Yitzchak called to Yaakov, and he blessed him. This, he knew it was Yaakov, <laughs> right? When Yaakov's going to go now, he's got to leave because Esav's really mad. He comes, his father calls him in to give him a blessing before he goes. And he commanded him, he said, don't marry a girl from Canaan, okay? So that final blessing is, He called him. And he blessed him. So Amad Yaakov When Yaakov got up to bless his sons, Amar Eni Ela I will begin my bracha with the beginning of where my father left off. 
So my father started with Kriya, with calling. So I will start with Kriya, with calling. And we see in source number seven, Bracious Memtes Aleph, but Yikra Yaakov El Banav, Yaakov called to his sons. And he said, gather together, I will tell you what will happen in the end of days, gather together. Okay. But Yikra Yaakov El Banav, Uvamechosam. And what did he end with? Bezos. He ends his blessing with Bezos, as it says, Bezos asher diber lahem avihem. Oh, did I bring it? Yes. Source number eight. Call Ela. After he blesses each of his sons with their own unique bracha, all of these are the tribes of Israel. Shneimasar, 12. Bezos asher diber lahem avihem. This is what their father said to them. Vayivarach osam, when he blessed them. Ish asher kivirchaso, deirach osam. Each one, according to his bracha, he blessed them. Okay, so Amad Moshe Levarech Es Yisrael. When Moshe got up to bless the Jewish people, Amar, I'll start with Zos. Because that's where the previous bracha started, finished itself off, right? Didn't end with the word Zos, but the last statement began with the word Zos. So that's where he's going to go. And so what does he say? In Devarim, Vizos Habracha Sherbeirach Moshe Yisraelokim Es Bnei Yisrael Lifnei Moshe. This is the bracha that Moshe gave. This bracha is the bracha he is passing on, a bracha that came from Yaakov, that came from Yitzchak, that came from Avraham, that came from Hashem. That's the bracha that's being passed on. Okay. Now, why did I say this here by Kehillim? What is this bracha that Hashem gave to Abraham? That's being I just want to start this question. Let me finish up. And for this, did I not? Okay, this is what I put as source to. Malki Tzedek Melech Shalem Hotzi Lechem V'yayim. Malkitzedek, the king of Shalem, brought out bread and wine. Vehu chohen lekel elyon. He was the priest of God on high. There he is. That's, that's the mention of kel elyon. I mean, it comes up afterward, but this isn't the first one. Vayavarchehu, and he blessed him. Whoa. Right? Vayomar, and he said, Baruch Avram lekel elyon, kone shamayim va'aretz. Blessed is Avram to God on high, who owns heaven and earth. Uvarach kel elyon, and blessed is God on high. Asher migen sarecha beyadecha, who hath the, what? <laughs> who has shielded you and delivered your enemies into your hand. For yitain lo maiser mikol. And Avraham gave him a tenth of everything. Right there. Which also is fascinating. What's the connection? I mean, it should be a separate pasuk or something, right? Shouldn't that be separate? Yeah, there's the same statement. Mm -hmm. You're blessed. Hashem has done for you. Hashem owns everything. Hashem owns everything. He has done chesed for you, and Avram gives meiser. That's the gut reaction. When you remember everything is from Hashem, what can I give you? From your hand is everything from your hand we're giving to you. (laughs) Me. That's the definition of miser. Definition of miser is not I think it's mine and I'm sacrificing it for God. I'm being a martyr and giving something up. Not at all. This is yours. 
I'm giving you what's yours. Where do you want it? <laughs> okay, you handed it to me. Where did you want me to put it down? That's what really everything in our life is. Every talent, every possession, every dollar is really every, every minute of our time. This is yours. Where did you want me to put it down? What were you asking me to do with this? Where to deliver it? And then the king of Sodom says, give me the souls and you keep the stuff. And Avram says, Harimosi yodi el Hashem kel el yon He picks up exactly where Malkitzedek left off. You see that? He didn't go around calling Hashem kel el yon before this. But as soon as Malkitzedek says it, Avram picks it up. Hashem is kel el yon. And not even, I'm not going to take even a shoelace, a shoe latchet. That's so good. I got to remember that. <laughs> From anything, because I don't want you to say, Ani Avram. I don't want it to be that a human being will claim that he made me rich. Why? Because that would obscure what Hashem has done for me. Even if I were poor, it would be better that it should be obvious that whatever I have is from Hashem, then there should be people walking around using me as an excuse to darken the truth of God's influence in the world. That would be the opposite of his life. Okay? <laughs> all right. So, first of all, what we have here is something that then looks much more familiar back in Shemona Esrei. Hashem is Kael Elyon. This is the bracha of Avraham. Right. right? Hashem is Kael Elyon. Gomel chasadim tovim, which we're not going to get to today, clearly. Vekone hakol, and owns everything, and remembers the chesed of our fathers. Okay. The connection then between Kelayon and Kone Hakol is now not surprising at all. I, even if I don't understand exactly what that connection means, the fact that Malkitzedek brings it together and that, um, that Avram immediately picks up on it and also his behavior is a reflection of it. That Meiser is the same thing as a Kone Hakol. I mean, he says Kone Shemaim Arts, but it's also that behavior is a behavior that's reacting to that knowledge means that maybe it's not surprising to find it here. And it's that message that Rav Schwab said. It's, it's all yours, so what do I have to bring you? It's me. Mm -hmm. It's what I bring to it is what I have to bring you. I think one question we could ask ourselves, and I, I think next week is I want to just analyze this little section again further, not only because we didn't get to Gomel HaSadim Tovim, but the idea of this bracketing and how it mirrors some of the other like this, I didn't yet talk about like Hashem saying he's going to give the bracha to Abraham. Um, I think it's also a question like, are we continuing the bracha? I think it's something to think about, right? If each, in each generation, right, our fathers wanted to pass down to us the bracha from before, and they wanted to say, well, let's end, let's start where they were ending off and continue this bracha. And this is a, seems to be very much a bracha of, think about it, even the idea that Avraham's bracha is described as everything he had. And then the Chazal are coming and saying it really means like the Bechora, it really means the spiritual bracha. Why? Why not just say it gave him stuff? Because look at Avraham's attitude to what he had. <laughs> it wouldn't make sense. What do you mean anything he had? What does Avraham have? If you would ask Avraham what he had, what would he tell you? He'd say, I don't have anything. It's all God's. He would say, Kone Shemaim Everything belongs to God. So then what did he give Yitzchak? 
If he, you understand? Achazal have to say this because we have to understand the pasuk in a deeper way. You can't possibly, if you under, if you look at what Avraham says, just looking at the pasukim, if you look at what he says, you should have a very big question when you get up to where it says, and Avram gave his son Yitzchak everything he had. Because if, if you think it means physical stuff, it doesn't work out very well. What good is it to give something to somebody if you think you have nothing? He's going to write him a will. You know, it's not a will. It's a living will because he's still alive. He's going to give him a gift that says, I'm giving you all of nothing. I don't own anything. God owns everything. It wouldn't get you anywhere, right? So it must mean that you have to understand everything he owns in Avraham's terms. In Avraham's terms, everything he owns is only about revealing God's goodness in the world. If having it means that would, that would um, darken that, then he won't have it. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If having it means he can miser it to God, if having it means, then he'll do it. Whatever it is. If it means leaving his family, leaving his nation, leaving his people, okay. If it means receiving, he'll receive. It, it's wherever God wants to put it. But he's also going to be very, very concerned about what he's leaving and, and when he has a son, and the son is going to inherit what he has. So. Yeah, but I don't think it's his things. When he says, what is it all worth to me, what you're giving me, because I am childless, was when Hashem said to him, I'm here, this was not, this is when Hashem gave him the bracha, this bracha. So, I don't know, it's getting a little bit late, but. Yeah, it is. is, But it's it's exactly, Hashem says, I'm going to give you the bracha. Agad la shemecha, right? I will make you, ve'eschal l'goi gadov, agad la shemecha, ve'heyei bracha. Right? He gets, tells him all these, these are the brachos he's going to give him. We're going to come up to this. And Avram says, that's great, but what's the point if I don't have children? That's not money. I mean, well, Rashi says, is with money. But that's not what he's, <laughs> but with Avraham, it's not about having money versus not having, it's just about having what you need to do the job. Right. Whatever it is God wants you to do is what you're going to do. And we see that passed on. That for sure passed on. Because Yaakov, when Esau says, come with me, right? Come with me to Harseir. And Yaakov says, what about the children? I can't, I can't go with you. What about the children? Mm-hmm. If the children will live near you and will share and will both have a share in the physical world, mm-hmm. it'll destroy them. My children have to be only B'nai Olam Haba. And then whatever they have, don't have whatever. Sometimes Yaakov had nothing more than... I was going to say the shirt on his back. I'm not sure he had a shirt on his back. He had a stick he picked up, right? <laughs> right? He says, with my stick, I crossed the yard. He had nothing. There were times he had nothing, and there were times he was rich. And that's why Asaph said, wait, what are you doing with all this stuff? I'm supposed to have the Olam Haza. You can take the Olam Haba. And he says, so this is what Hashem gave to me. He just gave this to me for the Avoda. This is not, this is just to do the job. This isn't a reward. It's not mine. I'm a steward of it. It's a kind of stewardship. Okay, so we'll, we'll stop here and hopefully it feels like we're here in the middle of the night. <laughs> so dark. Yeah, so Imrit Hashem will continue this theme a little bit um, going forward, but I always find it very exciting, this whole bit about how each bracha continues from the one before and, and it's really like a neat a neat continuation. It's also something for us to think about that how much how important it was to pass this on 
that each one felt this is the most important bracha to pass on to your children as you go on, then, then we inherited that, presumably. So can we pass that on to our kids? Can we, first of all, receive it? And then can we pass it on? It's a whole different framing of things. All right, thank you. Thank you. This question marks in